You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. It might seem like Aaron O'Toole's time leading the Conservative Party was shockingly short. But in reality, his exit has been a long time coming. Aaron O'Toole has been removed as conservative leader by his own caucus. Conservative MPs met Wednesday morning to debate and discuss O'Toole's contentious leadership. A majority of those MPs voted against keeping O'Toole. This afternoon, I stepped down as leader of Her Majesty's loyal opposition and leader of the Conservative Party of Canada following a Reform Act vote in our caucus. O'Toole is a moderate conservative, and he was trying to lead a party that, right now, simply has more energy on its right flank. All it took to oust him was a single election loss, and what else? What finally pushed O'Toole out the door? In the coming weeks and months, the Conservatives will battle over the future of the party. But if you want a preview of the outcome, you might want to look at the picture of the woman who is now their interim leader, posing with a MAGA hat. Is this conservative fight really good news for the federal liberals? Is it bad news for Canadian moderates in general? Is it a sign of a rightward shift in Canadian politics or just a hard right turn by a small minority? And when the dust settles, who will lead the conservatives? Because the answer to that question will also answer most of the other ones. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. David Mosscrop is a political writer and commentator. He is the author of a book called Too Dumb for Democracy, which is pertinent right now. And he is the host of a podcast called Open to Debate. Hello, David. Hello. What just happened to the Conservative Party of Canada this week? Well, they mugged themselves in front of the entire country. Explain. Well, I, I mean, I think what happened is the culmination of... Uh, years of trying to keep together a big tent that is just a little too big. What was ultimately a leadership spill or a caucus dumping the leader for the first time using the Reform Act, um, which allows for parties, caucuses to get rid of their leader, uh, came out of uh, internal tensions in the party that go back quite a long time between social conservatives and more progressive conservatives that are known as red Tories. As well as Aaron O'Toole's political failures and leadership failures. So I think we'll be looking for what was the reason this happened, when in truth it's probably the culmination of several different things. And there'll be sort of proximate causes, sort of immediate causes. But there's also going to be a lot of longstanding, simmering tensions that brought this about. And I can go through those if you want, but I just wanted to set the stage for, for what, we're, what we're seeing. I'm really interested in that. And we will get back to sort of the Harper coalition and how long it could have held. Um, but first, speaking of O'Toole specifically, was this kind of inevitable after he lost the election? I remember you and I spoke on election night and there was even then the question of like, well, it, it looks like he didn't move the needle and maybe he really needed to to have a shot at staying on. Yeah. And, and I think, again, if he had won, he presumably would have stayed on. But it doesn't mean everyone would have been happy about it, even with the win, right? So I think the 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 sort of the kernels of what would lead to this go way back. So he was in trouble. Certainly, losing the election did it, and I suspect that, in fact, the timing of him being uh, thrown out 
is, is you'll note, very close to when the party report on the election came out. And I don't think mm. that's an accident. Well, let's talk about way, way back then before we get to uh, what's next for the Conservatives. This is a party that Stephen Harper held together for more than a decade in power. And now they've had, what, five leaders in the span of five, six years? Like, how does a party stay so solid and then fracture so quickly? Uh, the same way a country does when it's held together by an authoritarian hmm. uh, who then moves on, right? I mean, what you've uh, got is a party that is inherently difficult to hold together because, again, it is made up of so many disparate elements. And people think it's the left that's fractious in Canada. And the truth is history teaches us that it's the right, right? Go through the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s. You can also go back uh, to the 50s and 60s. The right breaks apart. Hmm. And it takes someone who can come together uh, with their opponents and different elements and hold that thing together. That takes very strong and quasi-authoritarian leadership in the current climate, which is what you had from Stephen Harper. I actually think looking back on Stephen Harper's years, his leadership style makes a lot more sense now than it did at the time, perhaps, to a lot of folks. Now we've said, oh, I see. The only way you can govern this party is if you're Stephen Harper and you govern like Stephen Harper, because if not, this is what happens. Andrew Scheer, Aaron O'Toole. What did Harper do that those two didn't? Well, I mean, I guess the initial question is, how did he hang on for the first years? Because, you know, Andrew Scheer got one try at the election, lost and was out. Aaron O'Toole got one, lost and was out, despite the fact that if you look at their performances against liberals, they weren't that bad. They actually did fairly well. If they had done that to Stephen Harper in the early 2000s, Harper would have never become prime minister. And who knows if the conservatives would have won. Right. They gave him multiple chances. I think part of it was the party was new. People wanted to give it a shot. Nobody wanted to go back into the wilderness immediately. They weren't ready to break up again. They just got back together. So he had a few chances. Uh, then he basically ran like an authoritarian. He, you know, he would take very little opposition, but he would, but he managed caucus well. From the conservatives I've spoken to and from what I've heard about Harper's caucus years, he was a very good manager of caucus. So, you know, he had the authoritarian side and practiced extraordinary discipline over the party, over the caucus publicly, over the government. But he was a good caucus manager. And I think that made him an effective leader. I get the sense that that wasn't true of Andrew Scheer and Aaron O'Toole. Plus, on top of it, you have the sort of culmination of years of uh, internal rivalries and backstabbing and tensions that have started once they got to opposition. Because nothing brings the party together like winning, right? Right. And now they're losing. So what then pushed O'Toole out now? You know, it's one thing to talk about he wasn't the right man to hold this together. Maybe this was inevitable, especially after the election loss. But why now? You mentioned um, the election review. It's really hard not to look at what's happening in where you are in Ottawa right now and not think, you know, the truckers and and maybe his lack of cozying up to them or maybe uh, just how he handled the whole thing was the final straw. Well, I think, you know, it's sort of like asking what caused the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, was it the price of bread? You know, poor harvests? Was it, you know, obviously it was their approximate causes and sort of long term causes. I think the proximate causes of O'Toole losing are, from what I can tell, more or less threefold. The way he handled the convoy, the election report, we'll never see the whole thing. Mm. We don't know the whole thing, but we know it wasn't good. And the conversion therapy ban, he pushed the party hard on that, forced, fast-tracked it, and uh, said, we're going we're gonna to get this done the second time. 
not the first time, the first time there was a lot of opposition in the party. Right. And I think that we know that angered a lot of social conservatives within the party. And I think those three things together conspired to do it. Now, maybe it was just one of the, the, maybe it was two, maybe it was all three, but I'm getting the sense that those three were in the mix from, from what I've heard from folks and read. I, I, that's my sense. And then, of course, the the sort of origins of it, like we talked about earlier, go back to the fact that there are there are competing elements in the party that go way back that just don't hang together very well in the long run. Well, let's talk about the long run then, because I think everybody, conservative voters, uh, liberal voters, people even with just a casual interest, want to know what happens to this party now and what do we know about what might happen under uh, Candace Bergen, the interim leader? I don't think many people knew much about her, although now everybody's seen a picture of her in a MAGA hat. So that doesn't bode well for progressives. No, and I, I just finished writing about this. And one of the things I was writing about was like, look, she won on a preferential ballot, which tells you something about where caucus is right now. What does that mean? Well, I mean, if we look at how a preferential ballot is, you sort of rank your preferences and then you drop off the, the lowest performer and then you just keep doing that until what emerges is more or less a consensus pick. Right. That suggests that she, out of the nine candidates, was the consensus pick. Now, she's a pretty right-wing conservative, wore a mega hat, uh, you know, stood up in the House recently and, and likened the extremists on the Hill to indigenous protesters who were tearing down statues and so on. I think I interviewed her once about something and she's a true believer uh, and critic of the government. She's not putting on a bit. She's, she means what she says. Hmm. And so she's a conservative conservative. And that indicates to me that the caucus is leaning at least, or is at least sympathetic to that. At least a significant part of the caucus is sympathetic to that sort of leader. And now the conservatives basically are going to take their time to figure out what's next. They've got to go through the process of setting up a leadership uh, that goes to the party. They'll they'll have the committee. The committee will go in. They'll set the timeline. They'll set the rules and so on and so forth, the rules that aren't stipulated by the Constitution, and they'll go and do the thing. But in the meantime, I think Bergen's not going to sit back and relax. I think she's going to act as if she's the leader of the opposition and stick it to the government and try to fire up the base and the party. So I don't think the conservatives are going to be sleeping. In fact, I think they might even end up, end up more energetic than they were under O'Toole, at least for the time being. Do we know what that timeline will look like? You mentioned they can take their time. Is there uh, a set process in the Constitution that says we know they'll have a new leader by at least when? I don't think so. I I, I checked and I didn't see it. I checked back. They'll, they'll strike the committee and then the committee will, will figure out. So we don't know at the moment when that's going to be. I don't think they're going to take their sweet time. I and mean, they have a little bit of time because we just had an election in the fall and nobody wants an election in the winter. Right. But – you know, I don't think they can hang around for 18 months and figure this out. They're going to have to figure it out sooner rather than later. And I think they'll be eager to. Uh, certainly the leadership contenders will. And one thing somebody noted, I can't recall who, it's a pretty common point, public point more or less. Uh, you know, longer timelines help lesser known candidates. Shorter timelines help better known candidates because you just don't have time to become known. You don't have time to organize if you're if you're on the outside looking in. So that'll be an interesting dynamic to watch because there's no shortage of, of folks who might step in now. So who are some of those people? I know there has been a lot of talk around Pierre Poliev, and I will also say, because I've heard some early discussion as a citizen of Ontario, the looming specter of Doug Ford. He haunts us still. Hey, he said he wasn't interested in the Ontario leadership job, and here he is. So uh, I don't put anything past a Ford anymore. 
No, no, nor should you. In fact, the the potential candidates, uh, you know, from the Ontario Conservative ranks are um, are notable, right? I mean, Patrick Brown's name has come up. Mm. Doug Ford's name has come up. I've seen a few people talk about Carolyn Mulrooney. I don't think that's particularly likely, but she's her name's come up. Of course, you know, Pierre Polyev, God help us, routinely comes up. He is, I think, the presumptive front runner if he decides to run. I think that's, you know generally accepted among among people who are following this uh peter mckay of course as well uh the perennial loser of these things i will say that um it seems like if we're just if we're talking about mckay here and we can talk about the other ones too it just it seems like every time he does this the party has moved a little bit further away from him right like i would and maybe i'm wrong i would consider peter mckay kind of the example of somebody a moderate might want to replace O'Toole, and that kind of seems like it's not what the party wants right now. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think if you go back again to the sort of formation of the Conservative Party, I mean, that was a test at the time of was it going to be a, a Peter McKay, Red Tory Conservative Party, or was it going to be a Stephen Harper, a Canadian Alliance Conservative Party? And the Harper side won. And that lasted for quite a long time. And you can sort of say it lasted pretty much up to Aaron O'Toole. And then the O'Toole was a kind of consensus choice or a compromise, not a consensus choice, but a compromise choice. And then that didn't work particularly for them, even though electorally it sort of works semi-well. And he didn't go full on in uh, on, on the sort of progressive Toryism. He hedged, right? So we don't even know if that would have worked because O'Toole kept hedging. Uh, and, and But you're right. So it's sort of moved. And now we're going to have that test again. And I don't think it's going to go the way of McKay. I think it will go the way of of Pierre Polyev or, you know, Michelle Rempel Garner is a bit of a wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, then, Doug, then there's Doug Ford, who's a, an absolute wild card, though. So that would be a tough one to read. So, I, I mean, I think the fundamental nature of the party, um, the ascendant nature of the party right now is is the right. But that doesn't mean for sure they'll win. Keep in mind, a lot depends on the rules, right? Right. And in terms of politics then, in terms of, you know, as we look forward to, God, I hope not the next election next year, but the next federal election, whenever it is, in terms of politics, this is good for the liberals, right? I mean, at least... At the base of it, in the short term, their main rival is in total disarray again for the third time in four or five years. I mean, I, it, I think it depends. If the party splits, if donors flee, if members flee, if organizers flee, if they have sort of those fundamental structural challenges, then it's great for the liberals. I mean, like like the '90s were great for the liberals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when the party was sundered as the you know the Reform Party, the Canadian Alliance Party. Progressive Conservative Party. That was great for the Liberals because it's it fractures the right, and it's easy for the Liberals to get 36, 37, 38 percent and win. But this time, it depends. The next election, the Liberals will be in year eight, year nine of government. Mm-hmm. Uh, conservatives don't win elections in this country. Liberals lose them. You know, Liberals defeat themselves, and it always happens. It's it's pretty much inevitable, though not not entirely. And that's going to happen sooner rather than later. So you can imagine a conservative party that has uh, a less than catastrophic leadership campaign, gets a little bit of time, gets itself together, and comes up against uh, a tired liberal party in 2023 or so that may be with Trudeau, maybe without, 
and has a real shot. Because again, if you look at the last two elections, I mean, they came really close. They had more votes than the liberals in 2019. Right. Fewer seats, more votes. So they're very much in the race. So I don't think the liberals can take any of this for granted. And the, and again, you know, O'Toole was compromised during the last election by a party that just wasn't fully behind him and his own poor political skills. That may not be true for the next person. What about internally uh, with the Conservative Party? I know that not everybody is on the further right side of the equation. There's plenty of of moderate CPC MPs and in places that they have to be moderate to get elected, frankly. What are the chances that some of them can't abide the new direction of the party? And I I guess I'm not really asking you to predict a a re-split of the conservatives and the reform, but like, what are the chances for that real kind of division costing them some seats, costing them some members? This is a a pretty, I don't know, a a battle for the soul of the party, I guess. Without, I could, I was going to say without putting too fine a point on it, but that's a that's a pretty fine point. No, but I think it is. I, I think it is. I think that's exactly what it is. There are so many moving parts that, on balance, I just don't know because. You could imagine a world in which the party veers right and brings back into some of the you know, PPC voters back into the fold, in which case you could actually have a party that tries to become even more unified than it was rather than disunified. The question is, okay, well, then what happens to the more progressives, as you say? Do they split off and form a sort of progressive conservative party to, to borrow a name that is on the shelf? It's. I don't see a ton of appetite for that at the moment and don't know who would be willing to undertake it. I think it would have to be pretty extreme. I, I, I think the party will probably hold itself together. I, I could be wrong about this, but my gut says the party faces two choices. Either split or be run by a strong leader. Uh, you know, whether or not that person exists is slightly open question, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we didn't think that, but here's the thing. Let, let's go back though. You might have looked at the late 90s, early 2000s and said, okay, the Tories need that or the Conservatives need that, but that's not Stephen Harper, right? You might have looked at Stephen Harper in the early days and not seen that in him. Yeah. Right. Keep in mind, he lost lots right? and had a hard time with that party. We look back and sort of see it working out, but it didn't for a long time. Uh, it, It might again. Well, in the meantime, then, and not necessarily speaking of political insiders here or MPs or party members, but given you know what you've just said that it it looks probably like the further right elements will will take control of the party, and you mentioned what we've been seeing in Ottawa and Alberta and might see in Toronto and Montreal, how worried should normal moderate apolitical Canadians be about? the direction of the conservative party and also just the, the rise of the further right in Canada right now. Oh, I mean, I think we should be deeply concerned about it. And I think we should have been concerned about it for a very long time. I mean, we, we know that this, this country has a problem with the far right. Uh, We know from people who report on it. We know from organizations who study it. We know from academics, we even know from the police. We know we have a very serious problem with online hate and extremism. That's well-documented. Well, the canary in the coal, the canary in the coal mine is long dead. I mean, the thing is bones in a cage. So the time to worry is way back. Uh, the, the question is, okay, is the next conservative leader and party iteration of the party going to moderate those folks and push them out, which is say, you know, push them out rather than embolden them? Mm-hmm. Uh, that remains to be seen. If if the next leader and the next iteration of the party is one that welcomes them or emboldens them 
or tries to coddle them uh, even more so than, than they're now in the party, then I think we need to be deeply worried because it's not all that far off from what we're, we've seen in the United States. It's not quite as extreme, but it exists here too. And anyone who thinks it doesn't need only to come down to Ottawa and have a look or just log on to social media and have a look. We're seeing it. There's, there are shared affinities. Mm-hmm. And look at who the conservatives are who are out there giving the thumbs up with them because are, these are members of parliament who are out with these folks giving thumbs up, right? Yeah. Um, so the, that, is, that is happening now. It's happened in the past. And I'll close on this point. We're, we're not different in this country. There is no Canadian exceptionalism. We're not special. We're not better. We are open to all of the uh, toxic, nasty currents, undercurrents that we see elsewhere, including the United States. They've been somewhat muted in some ways in the past, but they've always been there, and they're on the ascendance. Uh, we ought to be deeply concerned about that. And uh, that includes, by the way, our elites, media political elites, you know, police and services, if they ever get around to doing something about it, and, and everyone else too. And, and I just, I worry that we've become complacent. Maybe this will, maybe this will change that, this moment on the Hill. Well, this is my last question, and it kind of pertains to that. While the conservatives are holding their leadership race and they're in disarray and there's disagreements about the future of the party, is this not a genuine opportunity for the liberals and the NDP to take a look at the rise of the right in Canada and the right turn of the conservative party and and take this opportunity to do something while they have the power to do it? Well, I mean, every day is an opportunity for them to do something about it. And uh, and I think that— <laughs> Okay, but should they? Will they actually do it this time? <laughs> will they? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you might see some sort of procedural symbolic stuff. You know, the, the NDP is talking about banning hate symbols, for instance. Uh, the liberals will try to deal with some of this stuff with the online harms bill, which is about to make its reappearance in parliament. Uh, so there'll, there'll be some of that work. But these are treating the symptoms. This, you know, this stuff is treating the symptoms, not treating the cause. I mean, there's a deep, deep, deep commitment to white supremacy in this country. You don't fix that with an online harms bill or by banning swastikas and Confederate flags. I mean, that's just it's nothing. Um, you have to uproot that stuff, you know, deeply over time. That takes that's the work of generations because some folks you're just never going to get. You need to. You need to get it at the community level. You need to get it online. You need to get it in organizations. You need to get it across borders. I mean, it's just, it's very, very hard and it's a lot of work. And you have to have the commitment of the entire country, and including, by the way, institutions that are infiltrated uh, by those who are at least sympathetic to these people. So it's an internal problem too. It's a state problem as well. Uh, I don't see anybody taking that seriously at the political level. So I'm actually not particular, particularly optimistic about where this is going to go. I want to be optimistic and solutions-oriented, and I think there are solutions. But it's it's looking deeply disconcerting right now, and the, the trend is inherently uh, disconcerting. And I will say this to anyone who wants to know more, go look up the Anti-Hate Network and the work that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know, maybe, maybe someone will take a moment to step up, but I haven't seen any indication that's going to happen. I mean, we spoke to the deputy director uh, of the Anti-Hate Network earlier this week, and now we had this conversation with you, which uh, makes two really cheerful chats for me uh, this week on The Big Story. Thanks, David. Happy February. (laughs) Stay safe out in Ottawa. Um, Stay away from the dangerous stuff. Always. Thanks again. 
My pleasure. David Mosscrop, the man we trust most to unpack the future of Canadian politics. God help us. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Email us anytime, thebigstorypodcast, that's all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. You can find this podcast in any podcast player. You can ask for it on any smart speaker. Just say, play The Big Story Podcast. I don't know if you can use your smart speaker to rate and review us, but you can definitely use your podcast app. So do that, and we will, as always, be eternally grateful. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, and we'll talk Monday.